and my help. How are you all doing today? Doing well? If you're in year seven, eight, or nine um, in Switch, you can go out through those doors there, have fun, enjoy your time with your leaders. A couple of things before I get into it this morning. First, welcome home, Rochelle. After being, was it two years? Two years in Egypt. And all it took to get her to come home was for Chris and Evie to get pregnant. Hey, why don't you give Chris and Evie a big hand? First kid. Pray for them that they're pregnant. Well, I say there. It's basically Evie's pregnancy goes really, really well. Although, Chris, I'm sure you'll eat along with her just to support her like I did when Trinity was pregnant. And, um, and pray for them that they have a, an amazing pregnancy and everything goes absolutely smoothly and awesomely well. My great niece is here today. Is she, is she in here? Can, you, can, you, can I have her, please? I just want to show her off for a little bit. Out of the capsule. Is this all right if I take advantage of me having the microphone so I can show off my great niece to you? Oh, and my mum is here today too. I nearly forgot. Only the person that gave birth to me. She's here today. And um, this, is, this is my... This is my... This is my. This is my. It's okay. Great uncles are allowed to wake her up. This is her. Isn't she pretty? Yeah. She gets her good looks from her great uncle. Uh, here you go, Erica. You've done an amazing job. Well done. I'll give her back before she cries or poops herself or vomits or something. Eh? Everyone knows that you're a new parent when you've got the vomit badge on your shoulder, eh? on all your clothing. Can you laugh or something? <laughs> wow, it's intense. How many people truly have been enjoying the series? Um, how many people thought Madison was amazing last week? So, so good. And uh, I have to follow that up. And so um, we, we're moving on to the, to the next Beatitude this week. And so it's in Matthew Chapter, chapter 5, verse 6, and it says, Blessed are those who... It's on the screen behind you. Behind me, sorry. You can read the words. Blessed are those who... For righteousness, for they will be filled. So I'm going to talk about righteousness a little bit later. The thing I really felt like God wanted me to narrow in is on the filled bit. And in Matthew 5, 6 in the Living Bible, it says, happy are those who long to be just and good, for they shall be completely satisfied. The New Century Version puts it this way, those who, who want to do right more than anything else are happy because God will fully satisfy them. Have you ever uh, been really, really hungry at home and you go to the fridge and you open the fridge door and you take the pose and you're just staring at the fridge and there's a whole lot of options in there, but none of them, they all look good, but none of them seem right. And you just stand there with the fridge door open. Is there anybody, any parent here that has kids that cause you 
to pay a huge amount of electricity bill just because they stand there for about five hours with the fridge open, with all this food in it, but then saying there's nothing to eat in this house. No, 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 no parents like that here today. You ever had those things where you've just got a whole lot of options and you're trying to work out what you're going to do for dinner, you've got all these options, and it all looks good, but none of it looks good. You know, you just, you just can't find anything that's going to satisfy you. It looks good, but none of it looks good all at the same time. There's this great uh, uh, band called U2, um, the best band that's ever been, um, just my opinion. And they wrote a song, even though they had all of this money and all of this wealth and all this stuff, they wrote a song called, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. In other words, they're saying that even though I've tried this, that, and the other, I still can't find the thing that I'm looking for. What about, what about this song? I can't get no satisfaction. Rolling Stones, is that right? And, um, and no, there's all sorts of Stuff out there where, where, where we're looking for satisfaction. We are on the pursuit of satisfaction. We want a satisfied life. Not only do we want it to be satisfied when we eat, and some of you are already thinking about what you're going to have for lunch today, but we're all on the pursuit of a satisfied life. We're looking for the thing that brings satisfaction to our lives, that makes it seem like it's full of purpose, that makes it feel like there's something worth it about all of this. And and here in this beatitude, God goes, hey, I've got a solution to your satisfaction. I've got the solution to help you live a life where you are continually satisfied. In other words, I've got something that you can eat that you will never, ever go hungry for ever again. And if you've never felt satisfied in what you've been pursuing in your life, I want you to lean in this morning because I believe that this message can change your life. And when I think about somebody who pursued satisfaction, I think about King Solomon in the Bible. The Bible says that he was one of the wealthiest and the wisest men ever, ever existed. And yet he wrote this book called Ecclesiastes, which is a 12-page book on him trying all this different stuff in life and deciding that it was all meaningless. It's one of the most depressing books you'll ever read in your life. But he wrote it because he was trying to find, he, there was something missing in his life. He wasn't satisfied, and so he decided to go on the pursuit. And he literally tried everything in the fridge just to try and find something that would satisfy him. The first thing that he tried was knowledge and education. In other words, if I could just get some education behind me, get some degrees, then I'll be good. So he started to pursue that. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 18, he says this, For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. Ecclesiastes 12, 12, he said this, Of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Can I get an amen from any students out there? Like, I don't know about you, but the idea, I want to do some, like my heart says, do study. And my body goes, no, don't do study. Sorry to all the teachers out there. You need to go to school and get yourself an education. What we're talking about here is that he thought that this was the answer to his life. That didn't work for him, so he decides to pursue a career. 
You know, if I pursue a really good career, then I can have a nice car, nice house, amazing holidays. Ecclesiastes 2, 10 to 11 says this of himself. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. In other words, whatever I wanted, I had. Whatever I wanted to do, I did. Whatever I wanted to buy, I brought. Are you with me? My heart took delight in all of my labor. In other words, I, I was... My heart took delight like pleasure in, look at my career, look at all that I've labored, look at all of my work, look how amazing it is. And this was the reward for all my toil, yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. So then he thought to himself, well, maybe... Maybe I just need to be the boss. It's just really weird because he's the king. But maybe I just need to be the guy that you know, determines my own universe. Maybe I just got to work a lot harder. You know, if I just put more effort in and make this happen. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 17 to 18, he says this. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I realized that I just must leave them for the one who comes after me. So I did all this work. I worked really hard. I cured all of this stuff. And then all that happens at the end of the day is I leave it for somebody else. And he's like, this is pointless. So then he thought maybe making more money is the way to go. And then I won't be in want of anything. Ecclesiastes 5, 10 to 11 says this, Whoever loves money never has enough. You always want more. There's no limit to what we want when it comes to money. Are you with me? Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. If I could just earn a little bit more. When I get to this level of income, then I'll, uh, but, and then you get there, and it's like, I just need to, I just, I just need to, I just. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. As you get more, these little people come along in your life if you're married, and they consume everything. You thought you'd have money, but then these little people arrive in your world and they consume everything. And you used to buy Calvin Klein undies and now you're more than happy with the warehouse undies. Come on. And they even have holes in them and you're all good with that. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? So one of the things that Solomon did is he brought all this art. And I can just picture him going, what is the point of this, apart from I just stand here and look at it? This expensive piece of art, and I just stand there and look at it. Now, if you're an arty type person, I can understand, because you appreciate it. But what he was saying was, is that if I'm trying to find satisfaction in everything that I just purchase, there is none. There is none. And then he thought that popularity was the answer, which is kind of weird, because he is the king. Constantly surrounded by people, constantly got people uh, on beck in hand for whatever need he had. And yet he says this about himself in Ecclesiastes 4.8, he says, and he's talking about himself here, 
there was a man all alone, surrounded by all these people, all doing this stuff for him, yet he was alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. And then he thought, last but certainly not last, least, maybe, maybe I'll try wine, women, and parties. And it says in 1 Kings 11.3 about Solomon, it says that he had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. The man had some woman around him. And I remember, you know, at Bible college, the lecturer had been asked, why was it that Solomon had so many wives? You know, what, what, what is the theological reason for Solomon having so many wives? And the lecturer said it was in the belief that in the morning one of them would wake up happy with him. It's just a joke. Not a very good one, but it's a joke. So Solomon tried all of this stuff, all these different things, all different stuff to find satisfaction. And then when he comes to the end of the book, he sums it all up into something really, really simple. And I would suggest to you today that this will happen for you also. That in all of our pursuits for everything, there will come a time, maybe it's today, or maybe it's down the track where you will come to a stage in your life where you will have the same realization as what Solomon had when it comes to searching for what satisfies you. And this is what he ended up with. Ecclesiastes 12.13 says this. This is him talking. The last and final word is this. Fear God. Do what he says. That's it. I tried all this stuff. I tried a thousand different things to try and find satisfaction. And at the end of all of that, at the end of all the money that I spent, at the end of all the wives that I've got, at the end of everything that I pursued, I've come to this realization at the end that it's about fear God and do what he says. Not fear God as in being afraid of God. Fear God as in the word there means to revere, to honor to have value to him. In fact, it's almost a picture of you approaching him. So it's not about you being distant from him, but as you approach him, you, you bow down in reverence. It's, it's not about fearing God. It's not about you being removed from him. It's about you sitting on his knee. It's about you being in his presence, but you're just showing honor. To show honor means to value, to give value to that's what the fear of God means. It doesn't mean that we're scared of God and we hide away behind the curtains over here because we don't want him to see us. No, no, it's about us having a reverence and an honor and a value. We want to be around him. We want to approach him. We want to be in his presence. But as we do that, we show honor. It's not about us being removed from him. And then it says, do what he says. And here's the reality. I, I've met a lot of people in life, especially pastoring, and they'll tell me, Craig, I love God. I'm just not sure I want to do what he says. If we're really honest with ourselves, including myself, we all have those moments. I love God. I just don't really want to do that. I don't really want to love my enemies. 
I don't really want to pick up my cross and follow him. I don't really want to pay the price for this. I love him. I just don't really want to do that. And in Ecclesiastes 12, 14, he says this. He says, eventually God will bring everything that we do out into the open and judge it according to its hidden intent, whether it's good or evil. What he's saying is that eventually every decision that you and I make, we will find out whether it was a good one or a bad one. We'll find out whether it was a good decision or a bad decision, and we will find that out eventually as God shows us. Here's, here's my thing. Why, why would we want to wait to find out if the decisions I've made yesterday were good when I can just do what he says? Are you with me today? We have an opportunity to dis- today decide to get close to God, to fear him, and live a life he has called us to live. Because eventually, as I said, we will work out whether our choices were right or wrong. I don't know about you. I don't want to, I don't want to find that out 10 years down the track. I'd rather just do what he says. Fear God. Do what he says. That is it. St. Augustine, one of the fathers of the church, said this, Thou hast formed us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. In other words, we will never be satisfied until we fully rest in him. What would it look like if you had a hunger and a thirst? You are at the fridge door of your life and you're looking for the best meal you could ever eat, the only thing that ever satisfies you. And Jesus says, I've got it. It's called righteousness. It's the only thing that will ever satisfy you, righteousness. Proverbs 21, 21, my most favorite scripture in all of the Bible it's my favorite. It doesn't have to be yours. It's just mine. It says, he who pursues righteousness finds life and love finds life, prosperity, and honor. The reason why I love that so much is because it's he who pursues. It's not he who gets it right. Because I think we have a thing about righteousness that righteousness equals perfection. It doesn't. It's a pursuit of righteousness. It's a hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's not about you being perfect all the time and getting it right all the time. It's about the heart intent of the pursuit of it. You see, what keeps, what keeps us from pursuing righteousness and getting all that God has for us? I mean, I don't, know, I don't think there's a single person in this room that doesn't want everything that God has for you. Yet I would suggest to you that my biggest frustration as a pastor is knowing what God has for people and then them deciding to only have a bite of it and not the whole thing. Or them deciding to have an entree, but I'll skip the main and the dessert. Or some of you go straight to the dessert and skip the entree and the main. Naughty, naughty people, you need your greens. I can remember speaking at a church once, and uh, I was there, and, and uh, I always find it quite nervous when I speak somewhere else, but the guy, the pastor was on this side of me and there's this other guy on this other side of me and this guy on the other side of me said, hey, look, really good to have you here today, but there, there's nothing that you can say today 
that these guys haven't already heard, that me and the pastor haven't already preached. In other words, whatever you're going to say today, we've already said, but hey, thanks for coming. And so I got up and I preached, and I, and I think I preached really, really well. And I think I served up a really great meal. But he was right. Nobody wanted it. Nobody ate of it. Why? Because they had created some scenarios in their heart that kept their appetite and hunger from God instead of to God. I think we, all of us, including me, we create scenarios in our hearts based on our experiences that actually keeps our hunger and thirst from God instead of to God. I can't emphasize this so much, this much. Growing up in a pastor's home, been in church my whole entire life, and pastoring now, I have seen time and time again as Christians go through difficulties that they run away from God instead of running to God. They disassociate themselves from their Christian friends. They separate themselves from fellowship in church. And then they wonder why their life gets worse or less satisfied because you're running away from instead of running to. The righteous run into the tower and they are saved. They don't run away from it, they run to it. Why? Because we have a fear, we have an honor of God, but we're not scared to be in his presence in spite of what is going on in our world. The two things that I think that keep us being hungry for God, the first one is this, we fill up on the wrong stuff. You're here, but you're not really getting anything out of the service because you already ate. You already had something. Even though there's a great meal here, you're just not hungry for it because you already filled up on the wrong things. I remember when I was younger and, and you know, working, early in my working life, and, um, and I had money, not a lot, but I had money, and, and I can remember being really, really hungry after work as an 18-year-old, incredibly hungry and just going, oh, I know mum's got dinner at home for me, and it's probably really good, but I'm really, really hungry, so I'm going to pop into the service station, I'll grab some chocolate, packet of chips, some liquish. You know how we do that. We're really hungry, so we pop in and we have a snack on the way home. And, and you got your energy drink and you got your snack and you, and you munch it on that in the car as you're going home. And then you get home and you walk into the house and you can smell this amazing meal that's been prepared for you. But you're already full from the snacks that you brought from BP. And so you don't eat the nutritious meal that's been provided for you because you're already filled up on rubbish before you got home? Am I the only one that used to do that? What, 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 is, the, what is the number one saying that all mums around the world do as she's cooking dinner and the kids go to the pantry and they open the pantry door and mums say what? No, 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 don't eat that. It's just about dinner time. Why are they saying that? Because they don't want them to fill up on the wrong stuff. I've got this nutritious meal here that's about to satisfy you. Steer clear of the pantry. Steer clear of the Kit Kats. 
So what things in your life have you filled up on that have not filled you up? What things have we filled up on in our lives that actually haven't filled us, haven't satisfied us? We still feel empty because of it. What things have we put in our lives that actually don't fill us up? What is it that you consume that doesn't even satisfy you? The only way I can kind of describe that would be, I don't know I'm going to name names this morning, but I know someone in this church that when they were pregnant, they wanted a Georgie Pie Pie. They had a craving for a Georgie Pie Pie. Who remembers Georgie Pie? If you don't know what Georgie Pie was, you, 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 I'm sorry, you've, you've just missed out on one of, the, one of the greatest things ever. And so they, they went from dairy to dairy, and all they could find is Irvine Pies and the pie warmer. But instead of searching until they found a big Ben pie, which was pretty close, or the closest thing that you're going to get to a Georgie pie, they brought the Irvine's pie at each dairy and ate it, unsatisfied, moved on to the next dairy, brought another Irvine's pie and ate it, moved, and they just kept on, even though it wasn't the pie that they want, they just kept on buying it and eating it. Because that's what babies do to a woman. They make you do things you don't want to do. But we can be like that spiritually. We're looking for, for a Georgie pie, but we just keep on eating the Irving's pie that, that the enemy serves up to us. Never satisfied, but we just keep eating it anyway. We just keep consuming it. Hopefully that the next time we come around, there's a Georgie pie pie there, or there's a Big Ben pie. And, but we just keep on eating the wrong stuff. And then what happens is when God does serve up the Georgie pie, you're already full. And you've got no room for it. What is it that you consume that doesn't satisfy you? Moses, in Hebrews eleven twenty five, it says this about Moses. Moses chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than, rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Here's the thing about sin is it's actually pleasurable for a season. It feels good. For a season. It's enjoyable for a season. Eating KFC every day for breakfast, lunch, and dinner is enjoyable for a season. I've got some supporters over here on my left hand side. So if you don't like KFC, they're supporters. You. It's pleasurable for a season. The thing about KFC is that when you crave it and, then, and you eat it, but then when you finish eating it, you feel so bad. <laughs> Isaiah 51 verse 1 to 2 says this, The Lord says, All you who are thirsty, come and drink. Those of you who do not have money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. He's not actually talking about wine and meat and stuff here. This is, this is a spiritual thing that he's talking about. Why spend your money on something that is not real food? Why work for something that does not really satisfy you? Listen closely to me and you will eat what is good. Your soul will enjoy the rich food that satisfies. I just believe for some of you today, it's time for a different meal. It's time to change it up. It's time 
for a different meal. You've been eating the same thing over and over, and it's not been satisfying. It's time for a different meal. The first reason why I think we don't get filled or satisfied in life is because we fill up on the wrong things. And the second thing is you've, you've never experienced the goodness of God. You've never really experienced it. You've been offered spiritual food to eat before, and you're like, hey, no thanks. It's like, it's like you, know, you know when you go out and, and you go somewhere and you try different food, yeah? All of us have that person in our friend group or in our family where you go out and you go to try something new like sushi or something, and they're like, I don't like sushi. And they're like, have you ever tried it? Nope. I don't like it. How would you know if you don't like it if you haven't tried it? I just know I don't like it. And then you eventually talk them into trying it, and then they go, oh, my gosh, where has this been all my life? We can be like that spiritually. Nah, nah, no, thanks. Nah, nah, I've tried that. There are some things in God that we reject. It's like, I'm all right, thanks. Hey, you should, you should get water baptized. Yeah, I was, I, was, I was christened as a baby. I've been there, done that. I'm, I'm good, thanks. That's not water baptism. You're missing out on one of the most powerful experiences you'll ever have in your Christian life. And you're like, no, no, it's okay, I'm, I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm all right. Get into a small group and, and into a connect group and you're really growing. No, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm all good. That's, that's not for me. Hey, you should get into a serve team and, and, and serve in some area in the church and you'll find that you'll really grow and you'll make some friends and go, no, nah, no, nah, I'm okay, thanks. It's not really for me. Psalms. 34, 8 says this, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. And some of us have rejected the things of God because of how someone else served it up. I'll say that again because I don't think you heard me. Some of us have rejected the things of God because of how somebody else has served it up because that person didn't know how to prepare that meal and deliver that meal properly. And so instead of satisfying you, it hurts you. And they abused you and mistreated you. And you're like, man, I hate church. And you know what? If I had been treated like you, I'd hate church too. I understand it. You have a bad taste in your mouth, and you're like, I am not going to eat of that again. It's the last time I was involved in a small group, or the last time I was involved in church, or serving in some capacity. This happened to me, and you've got a bad taste in your mouth. And when someone comes on and says, hey, man, I really think you should do this. It's really going to help you grow in your walk. And you're like, no, 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 it's okay, thanks. I'm all good. I'm all good. Ephesians 3 18 to 19 would be my response to you when you say I'm all good. I pray that you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know his love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled that you may be satisfied to the full measure of all the fullness of God. I invite you, go all in with God. Give him a chance. Give him one year of your life. Be in church three out of four Sundays at least. 
Get yourself into a small group. Serve in a team. Start giving. Start praying. Start reading your Bible. Start turning up to conference. Do whatever you can to get in God's, give God one year of your life. And if you don't grow and if you don't become satisfied in your life, then at the end of that 12 months, I'll change churches with you. Because if you give God a year of your life, I'm telling you, it'll change your life forever because you'll get the fullness of God. And the thing that grieves me the most is when I look around, especially after the COVID season, as people are just taking snacks of God instead of the whole meal that he's putting out there for us. And somehow they're hoping by snacking, somehow there'll be satisfaction to their life. Somehow they'll see. And so they're snacking on God, but they're pursuing their career. They're snacking on God, but they're pursuing a relationship. And they need to understand that you're only fully satisfied when you hunger and thirst for righteousness. So how do we get filled? Righteousness is two things. Righteousness is first, right standing with God. That means that you're in right relationship with him. To be made right means to have a right standing relationship with God. It's not about you being perfect, it's just about you being right standing with him. Romans 1.17 puts it this way, the good news shows how God makes people right with himself. The good news, the gospel, is about God making people right with him. Romans 3.25 says this, We are made right with God when we believe that Jesus shed his blood, sacrificing his life for us. In other words, Jesus paid for your sins, and he's really saying, do you want to be made right? I've paid the price. Do you want to be made right? Do you want to be made right with me? It's not an invitation to join Revive. It's not an invitation to join a church. It's an invitation to join relationships to be made right. And he can make you right. Well, I don't feel very right. That's okay. You don't have to be right. He'll make you right. Romans 5, 9 to 11 says this, and since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. Listen to this. For since our friendship with God was restored By the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. You see, Adam and Eve right at the start were friends of God. They walked together in the cool of the garden. They weren't his slaves. They were his friends. And it says here that you are made right with God, that our relationship is when it's made right is that of a friendship with God. Not a slave, not a deity that's way up here and we bow and we obey. No, no, he's our friend. He's my friend. He's your friend. And until you understand that you are his friend, you will always struggle in your relationship with him because you will see him as God and you're a nobody. And he's saying, hey, I call you friend. One of the most horrible songs ever written in the history of Christianity 
says it time and time again. I am a friend of God. And it just goes over and over and over, but it's true. When he made you right, it was about relation, it was about friendship being restored. He died on the cross and paid the price for all of your sins so that he could be your friend again. Come on, your friend. Because it's friendship with God that is restored. And when you pray, you aren't talking to a deity that's way up there that doesn't care about you. You're talking to your friend. And friends stick closer than a brother. Friends are what's important. God is never looking for a religion. He's always looking for relationship. We are made right with God by coming into relationship with God. Righteousness is the best meal you'll ever eat, and it always satisfies. It's worth hungering and thirsting for. The first part of righteousness is that we get made right with God. The second part of righteousness is probably the one that's a little bit harder because it's right living on earth. Right standing with God and then right living on earth. Not living your life your way, but living your life his way. Why? Because your way will never be satisfying. Solomon showed that. Well, Craig, I'm living my truth. I'm living my truth. This is how I feel. This is what I think. I'm living my truth. I don't want to upset you this morning, but it's probably going to. Because truth is not a feeling and truth is not a thought. Truth is a person and his name is Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is not a thought. It's not a feeling. It's Jesus. Jesus is truth. But if you want to go and live your life however you want, you're free to do that. But I want you to know this, that if you want to do that, I'll be here for you when you need me. I'll be here. I'll leave the light on for you. Because when you pursue what you want rather than God's want, what God wants, you'll always end up in the pig pen, just like the prodigal son. But I want you to know we will be here like the father waiting for you to come home to embrace you. You can go live your life however you want. But when you're done, we're here for you. Proverbs 14, 12 says this, there is a way that appears, appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. And it's not talking about physical death, it's talking about death to your emotions, death to your dreams. All the things that matter to you will end up being meaningless and dead. We have right living on earth by pursuing the lifestyle God intends. And the life God, lifestyle that God intends is found in the Bible. It's found in his word. Culture might be shifting right now, but we are not, and we never will, because we, are, we live by the truths of Scripture because he is truth. And I don't care what the culture says. I don't care what the culture is telling you, the way that it should be around all the stuff that's going on at the moment. I don't care. What does the Bible say? His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. His ways are the right ways. His thoughts are the right thoughts. 
You might be like, well, Craig, are you you trying to change me and change how I live? Yes. Yes, I am. Just like I'm trying to change me in the way that I live too. Why? Because we're called to go from glory to glory and strength to strength. We all need to change to become more like Jesus. Because that's what our world needs and that's what we need. And so, yes, the answer is yes, I am trying to change you. And he's trying to change you. And I'm trying to change myself. Because righteousness is pursuing right relationship with God and living a right lifestyle here on earth. Proverbs 12, 28 says this, In the way of righteousness, there is life along the path is immortality. In other words, let's put this into simple language for you. In other words, it works. It works. Uh, Righteousness produces life. That word life means fullness. It's a meal that always satisfies, and it leads you to the path of eternity, of immortality, of heaven with him. It is the right way to get to a life that is fully satisfying. Maddie, can I just get you to jump on the keys, please? That would be awesome. And I was just thinking, how do I finish this message? What do I say? And I was going to read out the scriptures, but then I thought, it's already got a thousand. So I thought I'd just tell you the story. In John chapter 4, there's a story about a woman at a well at midday when nobody else was around. And Jesus rocks up. She's a Samaritan and she's a woman. Jesus is there breaking gender and racial boundaries, barriers. And as she's drawing up water, he says, hey, can you give me something to drink? And they get into this conversation, and he says to her, I can give you a drink that you'll never, ever have to thirst for again. And she says, I, I, I really want that. And so he says to her, I'll tell you what, why don't you go and get your husband, and we'll get that for you. And she goes, well, I don't have a husband. And he goes, yes, you're right. The man you are with today is not your husband and you've had five other husbands. And the one that you're with now is not your husband. That was her Ecclesiastes. She tried one, she tried two, she tried three, she tried four, tried five. We're now on six. She's trying to find her satisfaction. And she says, look, I really want this drink that you're promising, but... But that only, that only comes when the Messiah comes. The Messiah brings it. And, and we don't know when he's coming. And we don't know when he's going to turn up. And we don't know what he's going to do. And then Jesus says this. And to me, this is the most powerful thing out of the whole message. It says to this woman that is searching for satisfaction. In John 4, 26, he says, You don't have to wait any longer or look any further and I would say to you if you are living a miserable unsatisfied life then this beatitude is for you today because you don't have to wait any longer and you don't need to look any further because the one that satisfies is here today and you don't need to look and you don't need to search 
He's already given you the solution. It's righteousness. If we hunger for right standing with God and living the lifestyle that He's called us to live, the Bible says that you will be filled, completely and totally satisfied. And this woman at the well who's looking for satisfaction in her life, and Jesus says, hey, 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 you don't have to wait any longer. And you don't have to wait any longer. And you don't have to search any longer. He's right here, right here today. And you can find that satisfaction that you're looking for right here and now. You don't have to look any longer. And you don't have to look any further. It's today. Why don't you all close your eyes just for a moment. You see, the thing that I see all the way through the Beatitudes, including the ones we haven't even done yet, it's about surrender. It's about surrendering our lives to Him. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall receive the kingdom of heaven. Surrendering our spirit to Him, being completely and totally reliant on Him, being destitute in our and our spirit because we know that without Him we, we, we can't do anything. Even last week, blessed are the meek, surrendered strength, strength under control of God. Not weakness, but strength that's surrendered to Him and pointed in the right direction so that it accomplishes much. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Once again, surrendering my pain, surrendering the stuff that has gone on that that has hurt me and made me angry and, and, and then looking for God's comfort in the middle of that. Not necessarily salvation from the morning, but the comfort of God in the middle of it. And then we hear again today, we have, I'm just not satisfied. I, I, my career's not doing it for me. This isn't doing it for me. That's not doing it for me. I'm not satisfied. And Jesus says, it's all right. I've got the solution. It's a hunger and thirst for right standing with me and living the way that I tell you to. Or as Solomon puts it, fear God and do what he says. That's it. It's about surrendering again to him. A surrendered life. And you don't have to wait any longer and you don't have to look any further. You can start a hunger and thirst for righteousness today. And if you're in this room while no one's looking around and you're like, man, Craig, would you pray for me? I really am dissatisfied in life. I'm frustrated. I feel like every time I try to get things happening, It doesn't work. It doesn't get where I'm going. I'm so dissatisfied. Dissatisfied in my marriage. Dissatisfied in my career. Dissatisfied in my finances. Dissatisfied in my family. Dissatisfied even in church. I'm just not satisfied. Man, I want to give you the opportunity. I'd love to pray for you today that that, that God would stir within you a hunger and thirst for righteousness and that your life would be filled, totally satisfied with the fullness of God, not just a bit of Him, not just a snack of God, not just an entree, but a full meal 
of everything that he has. If you're here today and you're like, man, would you pray for me that, that God would start to work in me that I would hunger and thirst for righteousness because I want a life of satisfaction. If that's you here today and you're like, man, Craig, would you, would you pray for me? Why don't you lift your hand right up in this place? Awesome. Anyone else today? Let me pray for those that lifted their hands. Come on, church, just pray for them too. Father, we thank you. Lord, that your intention is for us not to live dissatisfied. You want us to live a satisfied life. You mean you came to give us life and life more abundantly. And so any area of our life that feels dissatisfied is not your intention for us. We're sorry that we've tried to pursue satisfaction and things like education and careers and money and, and relationships and all that sort of stuff like Solomon did. We've come, we've come to you today with the same thought process as Solomon had of fear God and do what he says. That is it. Would you stir? Would you stir in us a hunger and a thirst for righteousness? that we would be your friend as you're our friend, that we'd have a friendship with you that goes way beyond what we ever dreamed it could be. And that we would listen to your voice and live the life that you've called us to live. And we would find satisfaction in not just one area or two areas of our life, but every single area of our life would be completely and totally satisfied as we hunger and thirst for righteousness. God, help us today, stir that on the inside of us, that there'll be a hunger and a thirst so that we can be filled, satisfied with the fullness of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I just want you to know that God loves you and He doesn't write these Beatitudes to make your life difficult. He writes Beatitudes because He wants you to have the full life that He intends for you. And we don't always get it right as a leadership group or as a pastor of the church. We don't always get it right because I'm not Jesus. I'm trying to be, but I'm not. But I want you to understand this. Our intention for you, every single one of you, is the same that you would have the fullness of God operating in your life. Don't let our failings get in the way of you having a satisfied life. Don't let our weaknesses and our shortcomings get in the way of you having the fullness of God in your life. You go after Him in spite of what we do. You go after God with all of your heart, hunger and thirst. And I'm telling you, your life will be satisfied. God bless you so much. Thank you for coming today. We love you heaps. Stick around. Have tea and coffee with us. For all those watching online, we'll see you next week. We love that you tune in and watch us, and we are here for you as well. But otherwise, why don't you connect with somebody today? Maybe take them out for lunch or have them over for lunch or something, and uh, let's just really uh, love on one another today. God bless, and we'll see you all next week.